1: Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. It was a moment that stunned the star-studded audience and the millions of people watching the Oscars around the world. Hollywood star Will Smith slapping comedian Chris Rock after Rock made a joke about Smith's wife.
2: Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane too. can't wait to see it. All right? <laughs> it's that was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh-oh, Richard. <laughs> oh, wow.
1: Will Smith just smacked the out
2: of me. Keep the- my name out your mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your
1: mouth. Smith apologized to the film academy as he accepted his best actor Oscar, but didn't apologize to Rock until the next day in a statement. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences condemned Smith's actions and said it's starting a formal review and will explore further actions and consequences in accordance with our bylaws, standards of conduct, and California law. My guest is Rachel Fize, managing partner at Zweibach, Fize and Coleman, and a former attorney for the Academy. Why wasn't Will Smith removed from his seat right after the slap? That's a good question, and I am sure
2: that there was a huddle to discuss that. And I think on balance, they decided to let him remain, possibly win his Oscar, and deal with it after. And I think that was an approach that may have considered the backlash they might get from removing Will Smith. But I have to believe that was a very hard
1: call. The Academy says it's launching a formal review. What is there really to review? It's all on tape and millions of people saw it.
2: I agree with you. I don't think there is a ton to review there. The incident is fairly simple and well-documented, but they are probably putting the facts in line with their bylaws and how they have handled this in the past so they will probably just review what they have i don't think there's a ton of facts not known and then they will determine what codes of conduct that violated and then the appropriate consequence for that violation what
1: are the possible consequences
2: I think what they could do, not that I'm saying they will do, I think it's everywhere from revoking his membership to the Academy. They could revoke his Oscar. They could ban him from attending the Oscars for one year or in perpetuity. They could suspend him for some amount of time from being a member of the Academy. I think that runs the gamut. I would think they will also look to see if they can find him under their bylaws.
1: Does Will Smith's popularity and status as a megastar, will that stop the Academy from doing anything drastic, from doing anything more than a slap on the wrist?
2: The Academy has been conservative with its approach to superstars in the past. I think because it is a body made up of writers, directors and actors that punishing others in the industry in drastic ways is very difficult for the Academy. And they have to be very thoughtful about how they go about various types of consequences. So I think Will Smith as a mega superstar, that his status will affect how this investigation and how the ultimate resolution
1: comes out. Under California law, was the slap an assault and Battery? Yes,
2: absolutely. That was a crime. It was a misdemeanor under California law that's an unwanted touching. It doesn't rise, I think, to the level of a felony, which is a pretty bad beating in that incident. But 100 percent, he could have been arrested and charged with a misdemeanor for that act.
1: The LAPD says that Chris Rock refused to file a police report. Without a police report, are they likely to go ahead with charges? They are not.
2: Not in an incident like this where there's very little damage done at the end of the day. The police department, the DA, in this incident where it would be a misdemeanor, the city attorney would likely handle it here in Los Angeles, and they are very unlikely to proceed without the victim's cooperation.
1: The Screen Actors Guild, the union that represents film and TV performers, said that it's been in contact with the Academy and ABC regarding the incident and is working to ensure that this behavior is appropriately addressed. Could it institute disciplinary proceedings? Again, I think they
2: would have to go to their bylaws and their code of conduct and what they have jurisdiction over This did not take place at an official Screen Actors Guild event, but perhaps there is something inside of their bylaws that would monitor conduct outside of something that would be unionized. And there would certainly be an argument that the Academy Awards would fall under something like that, but that would be under their specific bylaws that each actor gets when they join.
1: So if you had to take a guess... What would you guess would be the consequences for Will Smith here?
2: My guess is he gets to keep his Oscar. They're not going to take his Oscar away, which is a consequence they could implement. If I were guessing, they will either ban him for one year from attending the Oscars or suspend him for some three to six month period of time from the Academy.
1: Rachel, tell me what you did at at the Academy.
2: I worked at Quinn Emanuel, and Quinn Emanuel is is longtime counsel for the academy, so I worked on various academy cases. Most of that involved copyright and trademark infringement, and then during the academy awards, there is a large group of lawyers from Quinn Emanuel as their counsel that comes to the academy every year in various for various jobs. But what I did several times was interview people that don't have tickets. So there's a lot of ticket transferring that goes on, which is not allowed. So then you have to eject people from the awards show that don't have tickets. And these are kind of the legal issues that the Academy expects on Oscar night which is a lot like people trying to get in that have no business being there um, because it is such a big deal. But all of those issues happen generally before the show or at the entrance. So they're very prepared for that. Um, They have a city attorney on site. They deputize people to do arrests should they be necessary. And all of that's happening before the show. So then during the show they are not used to having this kind of issue at all because generally all of that has settled down and people sit in their seats and enjoy the show from there.
1: Obviously never before has anyone assaulted anyone on the stage but is there anything close to it that's happened? No
2: I think the things that have happened at the Academy Awards show are mistakes being made they announced the wrong movie something like that. But this kind of thing has not been seen at all, particularly among the presenters. I mean, maybe there's an off-color joke. The mistakes are made at on any live television, but nothing like this, where there is a criminal act performed on stage from two very well-known actors. I think the Academy, you know, those in charge there were probably just stunned and couldn't mobilize fast enough to figure out. It's stunning. You're, you're in shock. What is happening? How is this happened? Was this planned? So there is, I think, a shock factor to it.
1: But there are police officers there, too, right? Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. There's a gazillion celebrities. The security is high.
1: We'll see what happens. Thanks, Rachel. That's Rachel Fize of Zweibach, Fize and Coleman.
0: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The latest legal battle to hit the world of NFTs is over neon colored digital depictions of monkeys covered with cake frosting and candles. A group of artists created the so-called Caked Apes in January, a spin-off series of the wildly popular and lucrative Bored Ape Yacht Club collection. Now the artists have filed dueling lawsuits. My guest is copyright law expert Tyler Ochoa, a professor at Santa Clara University School of Law. Tyler, I don't know anything about these Bored Apes. Can you explain what the Bored Ape Yacht Club is about?
3: So the Bored Ape Yacht Club is a collection of 10,000 NFTs that are each associated with one piece of digital art that are all based on this graphic of a bored ape face, right? And each one of the 10,000 apes is customized in some way with different clothing or different props or perhaps changing the expression a little, right? But they're all variations on the same thing. So each would be a derivative work. So there's a collection of 10,000 of these board apes and they sold NFTs, 10,000 NFTs, each one associated with a particular ape. And in doing so, they have promised certain rights to the buyer that would not necessarily transfer with an NFT but which they have promised to transfer with each NFT.
1: If you own it, what does it give you the right to?
3: So there is a set of terms and conditions on their website, the Bored Ape Yacht Club. And unfortunately, this is kind of badly written. So what it says is, quote, when you purchase an NFT, you own the underlying Bored Ape, comma, the art, comma, completely. Right. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean you own a digital asset? Does it mean you own a copyright? It doesn't say. And then in the next two paragraphs, it says, well, we are granting you a worldwide royalty-free license to use, copy, and display the purchased art for the following purposes. Right. So that part of the license makes it look like they're retaining ownership and they're only giving you a license to use the work. Well, it doesn't specify whether it's an exclusive license, the right to exclude others, or whether it's a non-exclusive license. So they've definitely given you something. They've (laughs) given you some kind of license that accompanies the NFT, and it's a license to use, copy, and display the artwork that is associated with your NFT. But exactly how far you can go is unclear. It does give you the right to create derivative works based upon the art. So you can take your board ape and you can modify your board ape in additional ways to create new derivative works. And because of the way copyright works, you would have a copyright in your derivative ape, but that would not necessarily give you any rights in the underlying ape that you purchased. That's governed by the license on the website.
1: Explain what this lawsuit's about.
3: So this lawsuit is really just a breach of contract lawsuit. And... Both parties are using copyright claims in order to justify going to federal court rather than being in state court. But essentially, the parties entered into some sort of joint venture to create and market derivative works based upon the bored ape NFTs that they owned. And they called them the caked apes because their pictures of apes are draped with all sorts of dripping foods that resemble cakes and other desserts. So they've created a series of NFTs that are derivative works of the Bored Apes. Again, they've purchased Bored Apes, so they have some sort of license to do that. And they sold out, and they were quite successful. The heart of the dispute is how much money is owed to each of the creators for doing this. So Taylor Whitley, who's also known as Taylor WTF, he was paid 10% of the proceeds, and he claims that he's owed an additional 30%. And the other parties say, no, he was only ever entitled to 10%, and he's been paid his 10%, which he doesn't seem to deny, and we don't owe him anything else. So that's the heart of the dispute, is how much money was he owed and whether or not he's been paid. And the parties agree that he was owed at least 10% and that he was paid 10%. But he says he was owed an additional 30%, and the other parties to this venture denied that. Now, I think it's telling that the other parties allege that there was a contract in writing formed by an exchange of emails, and they have quoted those emails in their complaint, whereas Whitley, uh, Taylor WTF, says that he was owed an additional 30%, but he doesn't claim to have anything in writing that says that. So it's going to be very difficult for him to prove that there's some sort of oral agreement that differs from the written terms in the emails that were exchanged between the parties.
1: So where does copyright come
3: in? So copyright comes in in two ways. Taylor's WTF suit was based on the fact that he has sort of a personal logo an abstract image of his face, which isn't very specific, but okay. And some percentage, some small percentage of the caked apes use Taylor WTF's personal logo as part of the background or part of the wallpaper. So he says, well, he owns a copyright in his face logo, if you will. And because some of the caked apes have that in the background, and because he wasn't paid the money that he was owed, that the other defendants are somehow infringing his copyright by continuing to promote these caked apes that have that image in the background i don't think that's correct because they are not continuing to sell any of these things right they've already been sold somebody else now owns a nft associated with those particular apes it's not clear that the plaintiffs are continuing to do anything that would constitute copyright infringement on the other side the group that's led by Nigard says that taylor wtf made a DMCA takedown notice that when he wasn't paid the amount of money that he thinks he was owed, that he sent DMCA takedown notices to online marketplaces that were hosting some of these NFTs and was successful in getting some of them taken down, at least temporarily. And they're alleging a violation of Section 512F, which says that you can't misrepresent your ownership of a copyright when sending a DMCA takedown notice
1: more than $25 billion was spent on NFTs last year. Do you think that most buyers know what they're getting when they buy one of these?
3: Well, it's, it's hard to speak for most buyers, don't know what's in the head of any individual. But my guess would be that most buyer, buyers don't understand what they're getting when they buy an NFT. I would imagine a lot of people think they're buying an NFT, that they're buying a copyright of some kind. Uh, or at least some sort of license to use the art in some way, and that isn't necessarily true. Uh, In the case of the Bored Apes, there is some sort of license to use the copyright, even though it's a little unclear, but at least it's there in writing. Uh, With other NFTs, there might be a written contract that specifies what you can and can't do, and there might not be. Other people might think that they are buying some sort of ownership of an object of some kind uh, even if it's an intangible object of some kind and that isn't necessarily true right we've seen people uh, minting and selling nfts of artwork that they didn't create and that they don't own and that they don't even have a copy of on a server right so there might be a promise that you're buying some sort of copy a digital version of this artwork that resides on a particular server but there's no guarantee that two years five years ten years from now that server will still exist or that there will be a digital copy of the artwork on that server it may very well be when you buy an nft you're buying nothing more than the token itself
1: That's why I wonder, because there are some cases where clearly they're not getting the copyright and the artist is going to get some secondary profits. So why are they paying so much for these NFTs when you're not getting the copyright?
3: So there's two reasons, I think, why people buy NFTs. Uh, One is that it's sort of a status symbol, right? I own an NFT. Uh, I've got this record that says I own it. And that might be a great bragging point among your friends, uh, among the, the Twitterverse, among other celebrities, that sort of thing. Uh, the other reason is that people think these are going to be valuable and they're going to make money. And um, I think that's unlikely for most NFTs. Uh, it's possible with some NFTs, but... You know, people who invest early in the process might be able to flip an NFT uh, within a few months at a profit. But I think people who are holding these and hoping that they will have value long term uh, might end up with something that will have very little value when the initial fad sort of fades. People think it's like owning... An original work of art. So, in the real world space, if you own an original painting, you own that tangible object even though you don't have, own the copyright that's associated with it. Right. And if it's sufficiently old, the copyright might be in the public domain and anyone can make reproductions. If it's newer and it's still under copyright, you would have to negotiate with the artist or the artist's estate separately. To get any sort of rights to reproduce the work but you still own something quite valuable by owning a single original and the idea behind nfts was to provide something unique that would have scarcity and that would therefore have similar value to owning an original copy of a piece of art right you know the the original the the In the real-world space, that would be the tangible original painting. Here, it would be, well, you own the original digital version of this digital art. But the problem is that NFTs can't guarantee that that's what you own. Because, you know, what is the original? It resides on a hard disk somewhere. You're not giving somebody the hard disk. And... It might or might not be associated with a particular digital copy at a particular digital location. But, again, there's no guarantee that that digital copy or that server will continue to exist two, five, ten years from now.
1: It's a great explanation. Thanks for being on the show, Tyler. That's Professor Tyler Ochoa of the Santa Clara University School of Law. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show.